Here we go, guys. Episode three. Oh, yep. Episode 30. I think we need a live band for a drum roll because Jen and I can't believe we've made it this far. It's been such a fun journey. I know the NFL is a weekly topic now, and I can remember us rehearsing uh, for the Super Bowl episode, the first episode that we brought you guys. So we've come a long way, and we're really excited. We hope you guys are along for the ride because episode 30 should be a really good one. Without further ado, Jenna, take it away for the on sales. Joe Bonamassa has 21 shows on sale today. Maroon 5, headed by Adam Levine, has three shows on sale. This is in addition to Levine being on The Voice that just started this season, so it definitely could have some correlation there. Fish announced a Madison Square Garden New Year's Eve performance, except it's not just one, not just two. They're actually doing four nights leading up to New Year's Eve, so that'll be very exciting for Fish fans. Anybody who knows them well knows they also did the Baker's Dozen at Madison Square Garden this summer, so this venue is definitely a commonality for them. Garth Brooks added one show to Tacoma, Washington. This man just keeps going and keeps going. We don't know when his tour is ever going to end, but it's pretty exciting to see him consistently sell out arenas. Two cellos has 10 shows on sale. Jackson Brown has seven shows on sale. In honor of the late David Bowie, the celebrating David Bowie has 13 shows on sale this coming year. It'll be pretty exciting to see such a great rock star. A lot of people were really upset due to him and Prince passing. Just kind of be celebrated in quite a light. Uh, he has such a big catalog of music. That'll be fun to see on tour. Simple plan for anyone who loves alternative rock and back in the early 2000s, late 90s, has the 15th anniversary tour on sale with six shows. Game of Thrones live concert experience. That's such a huge TV show. I know Nate's a really big fan, and that has 25 shows on sale. Right when you said Simple Plan, so many memories came back. I think that's the definition of teenage angst. What a band. Um, for sports, we're going to go with the 2018 NHL Winter Classic at City Field, just a beautiful venue. That's the home of the New York Mets usually, but the New York Rangers are going to call it home for one game versus the Buffalo Sabres, and that's just becoming one of the most popular games in all of sports. That outdoor vibe is unlike anything you'll see at an NHL game, so this, the uh, Winter Classic always sells fast. We've got baseball playoff tickets on sale for the ALDS and the wild card. It's only a week away. You've got the Yankees, you've got the Red Sox, you've got teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers. The playoffs are going to be so exciting this year, so look out for that if your favorite team is going to make it. The Big 12 Conference welcomes back their conference championship game. It's going to be huge at AT&T Stadium, and this is a way that the Big 12 can finally get a member of their conference in the college football playoffs, so we'll be excited for that. And then the NFL Pro Bowl going down in Orlando this year is on sale as well. We're going to switch it back for some major tour announcements that happened this past week as well. Ed Sheeran comes to no surprise, announced a 2018 U.S. Stadium tour leg. That's really exciting. I'm sure he's going to have some huge guests on tour with him. And that happens next year, I think from July to September, but I have to check on that. John Mayer and Dave Chappelle are getting together for a New Year's Eve tour called Controlled Danger. These two have paired up before, and that'll be a really exciting show. It's going down in L.A. And Lana Del Rey finally announced a tour following Lust for Life. L.A. to the Moon Tour, and Janae Aiko is actually going to open for her 24 shows, and that'll be really exciting to see. One of the most underrated friendships in Hollywood of all time has got to be John Mayer and Dave Chappelle. I'm just getting flashbacks to middle school of a skit they did on the Chappelle show. It's absolutely hilarious. Uh, play the fight riff, John, if there's any Chappelle show fans out there. They will get that reference. 
Let's jump into some singles though, because one of our favorite artists is leading the way. So obviously, first we're gonna go with First World Problems. Chance the Rapper debuted this on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, it's a really beautiful song. It's got a crescendo to it. He kind of starts really slow. One thing I do like too, he had an accompanist there with him playing guitar, Daniel Caesar. He's a name to look out for. He's up and coming in that soft soul indie rock genre. So just a really good song from Chance. Uh, we're waiting to hear what's next for him. It kind of sounded like a little bit of poetry, but he's got a really powerful message in there about being a dad, avoiding the pitfalls of being famous, and what he can do next to help Chicago. So all around, a really good song from Chance. God, I love this. I mean, he's kind of pioneered this territory between using music that wouldn't normally go with hip-hop and making it hip-hop. This could almost even be considered a spoken word, I think, in some ways. Obviously, adding in the music, it's more so than that. But the lyrics, I think, definitely hint towards a bit of a broken chance. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just he's definitely lying his heart out on the stage for that. A lot of the lyrics were fascinating. You would have to read them a few times, listen a few times to be able to understand it all. But he's definitely burnt out at the end of a huge tour, his first major uh, album that came out. I can't even call it album because obviously he's labelless and he puts his music out for free. TBD if that changes for the future, but it's something that I think his fame has grown so much that he really progressed a lot and feels the negatives of it as well as the positives. I think the second single we want to go to, BTS Bangton Boys, dropped their album last week and DNA was a single off of it. I really liked it. For not being able to understand any of the words, I 100% understand why they're so big. Their social media following is huge. The EDM background beats were just really entertaining and fun to listen to. Yeah, the K-pop titans, these guys are definitely cornering the market. It's amazing to see. Like you said, Jenna, we can't understand a word. Definitely going to have to get Google Translator in for the next time we listen to them. But they are a worldwide sensation for a reason. They were recently in the news for working with the Chainsmokers. So if they keep linking with names like that, their success will continue to grow worldwide. It's amazing to see it grow even more because they are already phenoms across the country and the world. Another really big song from this past week, Young Thug had a few, but Young Thug and Carnage got together for Liger. I actually was pleasantly surprised. I was going to easily toss this into a bit of a throwaway, something that, you know, hip-hop artists tend to release a lot of music pretty quickly. And I thought the background beat on this was great, but certainly not Young Thug at his best. This is funny. This is actually off the Young Martha project. It was a short collection of four songs where Carnage and Young Thug work together. There's a really good song released a couple weeks ago. It was like the single off of it called Homies with Meek Mill. But the Young Martha name stems from Martha Stewart and how the two of them just appreciated her grind when they were trying to pave their way in the rap game. So this is just a really good combination of Carnage's electronic-infused hip-hop, Thugger's grimy Atlanta rap. The name stem stems obviously from the combination of a lion and a tiger, and I think you got the two of them together for the tape, so one is playing the role of the lion and one is playing the role of a tiger, and then Young Thug is always striving to be an outcast in the rap game in a good way, and I think the Liger is the way to do that, and he has a line in there too. Everybody's getting tigers. He might as well go and find himself a Liger. Demi Lovato dropped her album today, Tell Me You Love Me. We'll definitely have that review for you next week. But the last single she dropped leading up to it was Sexy Dirty Love. 
was definitely a little bit more dance hall pop EDM than her other songs. However, interviews have revealed that she really wanted to get back to an R&B kind of grimy vibe with this because just the classic pop hits weren't doing it for her from her last album, though Confident was nominated for a Grammy. So not only is she still chasing that, but she's also just trying to get to her true self. Seems at a really great place right now. And actually the album is accompanied with a short documentary as well. So when we watch that, we'll have an update for you there. But definitely like this song, not my favorite off her singles though. I think next we're going to touch on Osiris' sister making news in the music industry. And what a surprise, it's not Miley. Noah Cyrus actually released a song with Tentacion called Again. Um, it was a bit of a head-scratcher. The song itself is really good, and this is always the biggest concern with Tentacion. He's such a young, talented guy, but just gruesome details have been released recently of domestic assault, so he's just got a really troubled past. And for Noah Cyrus, somebody coming up, she has such a different genre of music than XXX does, so it left all of her fans really scratching their heads because he has such a bad name. Uh, to be linked with him is not the move you want to make so young in your music career, but the song is really good, and we'll see going forward if it has a negative impact on her image. Jenna, do you have thoughts on that one? I was actually pleasantly surprised by the song. I think her vocals are going to get her far, particularly because she has not only her dad, but now her sister that's really trudged forward. However, I wouldn't quickly group her with Miley Cyrus. I think you're going to see a little bit more of her traditional pop venture than what Cyrus has done, Miley has done, kind of looping from different versions of herself, finding herself. I think Noah's going to stay a little bit more in that pop, pop ballad, hip-hop even, tinging with wheelhouse. I appreciated it, however, yep, it's kind of tinged, unfortunately. She didn't promote it, and a lot of people picked up on that uh, in the beginning. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see where she goes from here. Let's move to my favorite song of the week, Rich the Kid and Kendrick Lamar, New Freezer. It kind of came out of nowhere. It got dropped on us uh, Wednesday, I believe, and it helped me get through a couple workouts this week, that's for sure. Rich the Kid snags the best feature of his rap career. Kendrick Lamar is just incredible on the song. He has this weird way of manipulating his voice, and he's kind of got these different personalities, and this is a different Kendrick we've never heard before. I loved every minute of it. Rich the Kid actually holds his own on his own song. I mean, it's hard to compete with a lyricist like Kendrick Lamar, but he does a great job. It's funny because the song originally featured ASAP Ferg and Made in Tokyo, and that version you can definitely listen to, but a chance meeting between the two of them. Kendrick Lamar asked Rich the Kid to send him a couple beats. He sent him back this verse, and how are you not going to release a song uh, with Kendrick Lamar, especially when he crushes it? So expect this to be the highlight of Rich the Kid's next project, New Freezer, definitely when you got to press play for I was a big fan of this song. It's funny because, yeah, anytime you feature Kendrick on a song, it's pretty hard to compete with that. I think Kendrick's tonality kind of complements the beat more. You can't really do much about that once you have the production. Uh, but definitely Rich the Kid held his own, and it'll be a really great song, I think, going into the week. I think it's probably my top hip-hop collaboration of the week. Let's switch it up completely to country. Kelsey Ballerini is dropping unapologetically in November. She's also getting ready to get married, so it's a huge few years for her. And she dropped her first single, High School. I really liked it. Definitely slows it down, gets that country pop ballad versus her sassy, snappy self, and has a good, I think, message of once you're past a certain stage in your life, it's pretty hard to go back and carry those 
common actions that you used to, things changed. I think that's pretty common for anyone that goes through high school, college, real world, and has to readjust how they want to live their lives. I got to keep an eye out for her next song because I'm <laughs> afraid to admit it, but I really did like high school. For me, it was kind of a reincarnation of old Taylor Swift, that acoustic emotional track definitely covers that small town vibe of how you can be such a popular person growing up in high school but once you hit the real world things can change in the snap of a finger so very deep track kelsey ballerini is a name to look out for in the future for sure keeping it in country a little bit harry styles did a cover of little big town's girl crush for his show recently at ryman auditorium in nashville for anybody who knows nashville that's a really really popular very famous place to perform He's been killing it with his more intimate setting tours, a lot of positive reviews, and for this, he did a Spotify single and then it performed it in Nashville, and I thought it was really well done. Great song in general, great lyrics, and I think he's killing it recently with his covers. Harry Styles, to me, is just a guy that gets it. You mentioned it, Jenna, doing a country cover of a very popular band and then performing it first live in Nashville. I think he's covering all the bases of that being a smash hit. I'm sure it was appreciated by his fans. I think if you listen to it on YouTube, the only versions of it currently are live, and you can barely hear him because his fans are screaming so loud. So kudos to Harry Styles. That's one heck of a move for such a young kid. We're going to switch it over to albums. We have three big ones, The Killers, Macklemore. But let's start with Janae Iko, surprisingly my favorite of the three. Uh, after somewhat of a hiatus, she's back in a big way. Trip is a multi-layered, complicated, and emotional album, which is no surprise from her. It's part road trip, part drug-induced trip. This album explores so many different aspects of life, from finding yourself to finding the meaning of life to maybe those two meaning the exact same thing. I think she's created something special. Her song, Sativa with Sway Lee, is executed perfectly. I know we discussed it one or two weeks ago, but the song with McConan that we heard, I Love McConan with Ray Schremer, just didn't suit them whatsoever. This is where Sway Lee excels. The wavy beat gets crushed as both of them go back and forth. He's mostly on the chorus, but at certain parts they kind of go back and forth and go line for line. Big Sean comes through with a verse on a song called Moments, another highlight of the album for me. And then the title track is one of the best as well. A late night drive gets detailed through a trippy, bouncy beat and embodies what the album encompasses perfectly. I think it just kind of how a drive can turn into a road trip. I think that kind of feeling of getting lost in yourself and finding yourself at the same time is what the title stems from. And fans of Janae Iko, I'm sure, love this because I definitely did. She dropped a short film in accompaniment with this. Janae Iko's film was called Trip. And like the album, and I think like the film goes over, this has so much to do with her brother Miyagi that passed just in 2012 via cancer. And it's just something heartbreaking because they were so, so close. The film gets into that a lot. Basically, Janae is this character, Penny, who's mourning over the loss of her brother. And she goes on a trip to a beach, starts writing, runs into a stranger, and the stranger takes her away. There's some drug involvement. And basically at the end, she returns to her house and her brother, the ghost of her brother, is telling her to let him go. So it's literally a trip and it's literally all these different versions of herself in different places and how people can affect you as you're going through something. But it also in the broader scale is just about how you're going to change as a result of a tragedy. And I think that that's pretty interesting. It was pretty exciting to see her act a little bit and take a step forward in her career like that. 
The next album we're going to cover is Gemini by Macklemore. And Offset on a Macklemore album is the first thing that I that stuck out to me. Definitely something I can get used to. In all seriousness, Macklemore doesn't get enough credit for the positive and powerful brand of hip-hop that he brings. Swears are rarely a part of it. He rarely discusses the drugs and the crime that are often topics in rap songs. But every now and again, he does take a break to brag about how successful he is because when you have a song like Thrift Shop, I mean, that was known worldwide for years. How can you not brag about it but just a baller lifestyle in general i love some of the lines in that song offset fits right in the track on the album is called willy wonka it does not disappoint there's heavy bass uh, macklemore seamlessly syncs his lyrics up with the beat i think um, at certain times the bass really pounds through the beat and he puts emphasis on his words so i think that matching up from a production standpoint is really cool Offset's rhyme scheme also brings a song together, and there's even a Marshawn Lynch sample in there that puts it over the top for me. Macklemore is from the Seattle area. Obviously, Marshawn Lynch had his most productive NFL seasons in Seattle, so another production nugget for you there. That's really cool. And then another highlight for me is called Levitate. The jazz-infused beat and quick delivery is pretty cool to see for Macklemore. And then he's got a guy named Otenio Terry. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but he brings a bit of Bruno Mars flavor to the song. And then the last track that's must listen to for me is called 10 Million. Uh, all around well done for Macklemore on this one. This is his first album in a while without counterpart and producer Ryan Lewis. A lot of people were hesitant because he had been thrown under the bus along with Ryan Lewis in his last album for trying to preach to the choir a little too much, trying to promote his points to the point where they didn't really stay relevant and didn't really stick to people. Where this, he definitely dialed it back to a bit of his fun side, ironically kind of showing his privilege and ability to do that on this. I have to say, I think the production is pretty tight on this. A lot of critics haven't liked it, and a lot of critics have missed Ryan Lewis. I have to say, I really liked the album. Two highlights for me that are a little bit more in that pop realm, because if you go into this thinking that it's going to be a hip-hop album, you'll be disappointed. There's a really high element of pop in it. Is Over It featuring Donna Massal, like Nate said, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it's basically counteracts Macklemore's slow rap skills with a really great hook. And it's all about a really messed up relationship, kind of trying to get over someone and not really ever doing that. One of my favorite lines is, I never had love, so I learned to settle quick. And it's just these two people tumbling through an unhealthy relationship. Really well done, but definitely on the sadder side of the album. And on the upbeat side, right after it, is Zara featuring a beer. It's definitely, hopefully, about the relationship he's currently in now with his baby mama. It's upbeat. It flows. It talks about all the really positives of having someone there for you in a relationship. And it's definitely a feel-good song, similar to Marmalade. The last album we're going to cover quickly is The Killers with Wonderful, Wonderful. I cannot believe it's been 13 years since Hot Fuss, so Mr. Brightside, that song on its own, you talk about someone's entire career being perpetuated by one song, and that's exactly what happened with Mr. Brightside, but the Killers are still making music. It's been a few years, however, they're back with Wonderful, Wonderful. I have to say, overall, I was kind of disappointed. I kind of like their pop synth rock. There's a few on these that stand out for me, and then a few that didn't really meet up to expectations. I'll like start off with the bad news. Tyson vs. Douglas, which I thought was a really cool subject for a song, obviously about the famous 1990 fight where Tyson lost via knockout and he was undefeated going into it. 
but Brandon Flowers, the lead singer's voice on it, because it's more upbeat and more synth rock, just didn't really suit the subject matter. You're kind of looking for intensity, you're looking for sadness, and the upbeat style was just not really fitting for me. I really liked the beginning of Wonderful Wonderful, which starts off the album. It has just a great production quality to it. However, it kind of, as it goes through the song, is a little bit less and less. And when Flowers uses the word thine, I was just kind of lost after that. Uh, Definitely repeats things about having a motherless child. Uh, So you get that depressing element a little bit. Those were my least favorites. My favorites were The Man. I know a lot of people have thrown it under the bus because it's more of a cliche pump-up song, but I really liked it. It's definitely jazzy and braggadocious and fun, and it's just kind of a feel-good, very single vibe to it. One of the other ones that I think someone could pass off and first listen but has some quality to it is Have All the Songs Been Written. It definitely has that more inspirational quality to it, and it repeats the line at the end, I just need one more to get through to you. So it's talking about writing songs for someone in the attempt to convey a message, which I think is something that artists do all the time. They don't, they can't process anything until they write it down, produce it, and release the album. And it's like releasing whatever has happened to them. So I thought the concept there was really good. There you guys have it. That's a week full of music if I've ever heard it. So let's jump into some sports. And I don't think we can start anywhere else besides football season and the NFL protests in particular. Week three was all about that, more so than the action on the field. There was just players pre-game, during the game with celebrations, and after the game that just made headline news. It all started in London, ironically enough. Uh, Players in the Jags-Ravens game kind of set the tone in London. They were all standing together, locking arms. They even had an owner of the team, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Shahid Khan, I believe is his name, Uh, was arm-in-arm with his players, showing a great sign of unity. Many more players took a knee over in America once the 1 o'clock game started, and then in the Pittsburgh Steelers game versus the Chicago Bears, the whole team actually stayed in the locker room except for one player, Andre Villanueva, who is an ex-Army vet. Just a really good sign from him. I think it got blown out of proportion very much so, but the team was okay with him doing that, and he had to respect the flag, but at the same time, it's getting taken out of context because the NFL players are in no way trying to disrespect veterans or disrespect the flag. They are just using one of their constitutional rights um, to just not observe the national anthem. So it's a huge point of debate. And then on Monday Night Football, I think one of the most prolific owners in NFL history, Jerry Jones, even got involved in it, and he took a knee on the field with his players. So just a very, very politically charged week in the NFL, something we don't see a lot of, but it was definitely the headline of week three. Yeah, what a crazy, crazy week. I'm definitely with you on that. Like, I'll definitely proceed the statements by saying that in general, my viewpoints, I'm pretty liberal, so I'm just not raised in a background that I think agrees with a lot of the arguments against why the protests happen. Uh, so I have to understand I'm not from those backgrounds and not from those walks of life. However, I agree that I think the players were meaning no harm or disrespect to the flag or what it represents via the military. Actually, there was a really interesting article that came out talking about the people that actually originally did it with Colin Kaepernick and how they chose the knee position because it represented physically a flag at half-mast. So that in itself, I think, is just a really interesting interpretation of it itself. 
I think it's really cool to see people standing up for what they believe in. If you're a singer, you're going to do it through a song. If you're a football player, you're going to do it on the football field because if you did it at your house, nobody would care. And this is definitely a huge, huge stage. It's going to cause a lot of controversy. It's going to be very interesting to see how the rest of the season pans out. But as long as people are doing it peacefully, I think that if they have statements to make, it's a pretty cool place to bring it as so many people watch the NFL. But that's it for the protest. Let's get to the actual games that went down in week three. We'll start with, I know, Nate's least favorite, Giants versus Eagles. Before getting into it and talking about the bloody results, it's a really epic rivalry, and I think it's something that's looked over a little bit. I actually didn't realize that the first game that they played was all the way back in 1933 at random, random venue Polo Grounds in Upper Manhattan, and I thought that was just a pretty cool stat to see how far the history has gone back. We're now edging on almost 100 years, just around 10 or so shy of that. But the Giants ended up losing 24-27. However, one positive, notable part of the game is that they had a 24-point rally in the fourth quarter to just choke at the end. It's pretty impressive, though, for a team that's been struggling. The only thing I have written down in my notes next to Giants versus Eagles is throw up because this game made me sick. I know exactly what happened. I can recall the entire fourth quarter. They did get their first lead of the season, which I guess is a positive. Their defense made an incredible turnover to kind of spark the rally and keep it alive. Odell Beckham Jr. is back from his injury. Again, he made incredible acrobatic catches. His second touchdown of the day was absolutely unbelievable with a defender draped all over him. He used one hand and a shoulder pad to kind of corral the ball in. Sterling Shepard showed up to give him some help on the offensive end. But the Eagles tied the game at 24 with 51 seconds. The Giants' lack of offensive line and run game came, up, came back to haunt them. They punted the ball extremely quick, quickly to the Eagles, who had all their timeouts. And then the Giants' defense, which was supposed to be what they held their hat on, kind of let the Eagles advance the ball too far. I think nobody saw a rookie kicker making a 61-yard field goal. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, the NFL record is right around 63, 64 yards. So... It was not out of the realm of possibility, and sure enough, Jake Elliott, props to him, struck it very, very true. It was a beautiful kick. Uh, it was good all the way, and I think the best part of it was NFL mic'd up, actually caught Carson Wentz after the game. He said that he would give the kicker his game check, which a game check for a quarterback and a game check for a kicker are night and day. That's all I will say. So. I think the verdict's still out if he came through and actually gave him that money, but I think he did tweet, we figured something out. Either way, a crushing loss for the Giants, and the Eagles are going to be celebrating going into week four. That was a huge win for them on their home field. My favorite game of week three, Texans versus Pats. Now, no surprise, the Pats ended up pulling it out with a 36-33 victory. But if this wasn't a flashback for anybody for Super Bowl 51, I don't know what is because the Pats came back pretty late to win this game. For the Texans, no surprise, Deshaun Watson had a phenomenal performance. This game also shows that if you think the players are too talented at some point to not have a coach, that's not the case whatsoever. A coaching blip is actually kind of what caused the game to turn for the worse in the Texan situation. 30-28, the Texans were up, and then Coach Bill O'Brien decides, you know what, instead of trying to run in, we're just going to take the extra points and hope that we can hold Tom Brady off in the last two minutes of the game. And no surprise, they were wrong. So Tom ended up plowing down the field, but I certainly don't want to give all the credit to the quarterback because I think that's done a little bit 
too much sometimes. Brandon Cooks made an incredible catch, basically tapped in both of his feet for that uh, for that touchdown at the end, making the score 36-33. Pretty impressive finish. Incredible game all around. I was rooting hard for the Houston Texans, obviously. Jadavion Clowney is finally coming into his own. He was a former number one pick, and the skeptics were wondering if his laundry list of injuries would come back to haunt him, but he and J.J. Watt are terrorizing quarterbacks. He had a big pick six in the game, and the Tom Brady is the GOAT. There's no denying that, but barely because before that drive, that kind of he just motored the team down the field. There were two huge plays where the Houston Texans got unlucky. They forced a fumble and couldn't recover it, and then one of their safeties had a pick in his hands but couldn't control the catch all the way to the ground, and there was a third and 18 where Tom Brady just threw a beautiful ball. They converted the third and 18, and I think everybody across the country watching that game was like, oh, here we go again. That's all he needed because if you give Brady even more than one chance, if you give him three, just forget about it. It's over. That's what the Texans did and it came back to haunt them and you're right Jen a heck of a catch by Brandon Cooks to steal that win for the New England Patriots. Just summarizing a few week three scores up so we can head into the week four preview. Cowboys versus Cardinals ended in the Cowboys winning 28-17. Cowboys and Cardinals made a huge statement because they all unanimously unanimously locked arms going into the game. Uh, The Cowboys kneeled right before the national anthem and then stood up for it, which was definitely a different way to do it, but onto the game itself. Dak Prescott made for a really interesting play, flipping into the end zone at one point, and the Cardinals started off pretty hot. Their offensive line, headed by Carson Palmer, looked like they were going to make this a game, but they ended up stalling, and the Cowboys took it from them. In addition, the Steelers lost to the Bears, and the Chiefs won over the Chargers, which makes the Chiefs one of my top teams to look out for this season because they seem to be slaying it. Yeah, let's head to week four, and I don't think there's any better place to start than with the Chiefs. They're off to an incredible run, only one of two teams still undefeated, 3-0 with the Atlanta Falcons, who lost that heartbreaking Super Bowl game against the Patriots. So good to see that everything is right in Atlanta still. They are putting that in the rearview mirror and trying to improve. But we've got Redskins Chiefs on Monday Night Football, and this should be an offensive showcase Alex Smith and Kirk Cousins are coming off of great games in week three, and they are just experiencing some of the best football of their career. Kareem Hunt of the Kansas City Chiefs is the early season surprise for sure. He leads the NFL in rushing. His electric playmaking ability complements Tyreek Hill, a wide receiver, and Travis Kelsey, the tight end, perfectly. And to think Kareem Hunt wasn't even the starting running back coming into the season, he's only playing because their prior starter, Spencer Ware has some knee damage in his ligaments, the PCL and MCL, so a lucky break or a lucky tear for Kareem Hunt is turning into what could be a career year for him. The Redskins are 2-1 and one as well. They had a huge game on Sunday Night Football. The Oakland Raiders, one of the darlings of the AFC, came to town, and the Redskins just dominated them. And a name to look out for is Chris Thompson because in the offseason, the Redskins lose to Sean Jackson, but Thompson is providing the explosive plays and then some. Here are some crazy stats for you. Not only does he lead the team in rushing and receiving, he's averaging 8.5 yards of rush and 17.8 yards per catch. He's got four touchdowns. I am excited for this one because Kareem Hunt and Chris Thompson are two of your smaller running backs. They rely on their speed a lot, but the smallest guys in the field will have the huge impact come Monday night. 
the other big game for our week four preview, Lions versus Vikings. Vikings are coming off a win against the Buccaneers, but the Lions lost to the Falcons. That's no shabby loss, though, because the Falcons are probably one of the best teams this year. It's going to look like an interesting matchup. My guess would be on the Vikings just because I think their offense is going to outweigh the Lions, but it's anyone's game. This is an interesting game. Let's go back to the Lions-Falcons because not only did they lose to the Falcons, but they lost in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, Last-second touchdown from Golden Tate actually got reversed. They said that he was down at the half-yard line, and the rule in the NFL is if a review happens under 10 seconds, then there's a 10-second runoff on force unless the team has a timeout. The Lions did not have a timeout, and they had to take the loss 30-26, to one of the crazier finishes you'll see this season for sure. And in the matchup with the Vikings, it's really consistency versus explosiveness. Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions can score on any play, uh, but the Minnesota Vikings rely on defense, a running game, and game management from their quarterback because they're playing with backup Case Keenum right now. But he's doing a great job filling in for Sam Bradford. And who would have guessed Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are second and third respectively in the league in receiving yards. So Keenum's got some weapons, and he's using them to his advantage. Dalvin Cook is a promising rookie running back, so we'll see. And I think this is going to come down to the last possession. It's all going to depend on Matthew Stafford and if he can deliver those late-game heroics that he's known for. And if anybody remembers the last time the Lions played the Vikings in Minnesota, it was a crazy game, and it actually ended with Golden Tate catching a pass, breaking a tackle, and then acrobatically front-flipping into the end zone. So I think fans can expect another finish just like that. Let's switch it up to the President's Cup that's getting underway and going through the weekend. It's at the National Golf Club in Jersey City, New Jersey. However, it's not always held on U.S. soil. This is an international tournament. A little bit of an interesting setup because it has a bit of that team dynamic that you don't see as much in golf outside of the Olympics or other major tournaments of that level. The U.S. first international team. Some highlights from both teams. The U.S. has Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas, international team, Hideki Matsuyama, Jason Day, and Adam Scott. Another really notable person for the U.S. team that could potentially boy, boy, that could potentially bolster an otherwise really young green team is Phil Mickelson, everybody's favorite golfer, is going to be back to join the U.S. team. This hasn't always been the most competitive tournament in the past. In fact, the international team actually hasn't won since 1998. So we're hoping that if they pull out the win this year, it's going to even it out a little bit. It's usually played every two years and switches location. So in 2019, it's going to be held in Australia. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head, Jenna. All those players are going to have huge impacts. One name to look out for for me if the international team is going to finally break this curse is Hideki Matsuyama, the young Japanese player who's risen to the third-ranked player in the world. The President's Cup definitely needs a win from the international team to kind of give it that credibility. The Ryder Cup is the other tournament that happens every other year, and that is actually just the USA versus Europe. Those are two powerhouses when you're talking about golf, so that competition is always very competitive, and the overall series is much more closer. The President's Cup is just dominated by the U.S. year in and year out. So I think I'm actually going to be rooting for the international team for the benefit of the tournament because I love seeing this style of golf played, this team-oriented, points-oriented kind of style of play. It's really exciting, especially when it's coming down to it on Sunday because you have team 
You have team matches on Thursday through Saturday where two guys from each team will play against each other. But on Sunday, it's 1v1. All 12 players play against each other, and that's when the drum is at its highest. So we're looking for a really good President's Cup tournament this year, and it's going down at Liberty National Golf Club in Jersey City, New Jersey. So if you're a huge fan in the metropolitan area, in the northeast area, and you want to get tickets, look no further than Ticket Liquidator. The President's Cup should be pretty exciting this year. We're going to flip it back to college football really quickly. Huge, huge game this coming week. Number two, Clemson versus Virginia Tech, who's number 12 right now. It's kind of shaping up to be round three of Bama versus Clemson. I know it's super early to say that, but you always hope that someone could potentially muster in there and kick them out, make it a little bit more interesting. These two teams played in the ACC title last year, and Clemson won 42-35, pretty close game. Both are 4-0 going into the game. However, the issue is nobody really knows how good Virginia Tech is right now because they haven't really had any major competition, unlike Clemson, who has some pretty big wins under their belt. You're so right, Jenna. And for the first time in a long time, Clemson's going to go up for, against Virginia Tech, and they're not going to have the better quarterback. Kelly Bryant is still struggling to find his grip on the offense, but he's a dual-threat quarterback, so he helps Clemson out in that regard and their defense is really what's winning them games so far this season. Clemson is the number two ranked team in the country, so yes, they are on track for that rematch against Alabama, but they haven't played a quarterback like Josh Jackson. 11 touchdowns, one interception, and the difference in the game for me is really going to be if he gets time in the pocket and he can get the ball down to his best wide receiver, Cam Phillips, Virginia Tech is going to like their chances. But Clemson has two NFL-bound defensive ends in Christian Wilkins and Austin Bryant. If they're in the backfield recording multiple sacks, it's going to be a long night for Virginia Tech and Josh Jackson. A couple more things. The game is at home for Virginia Tech. That should help them out. And last year, the score was 42-35. A little bit misleading, though, because Clemson was blowing them out for most of the game. But then you had a late surge from Virginia Tech. It was a little too late. So we'll see what unfolds this Saturday in Blacksburg, Virginia. And finally, the MLB playoffs are getting underway. Some big highlights. The Twins just clenched a playoff berth. They have the playoff spot set for the second wild card in the National League. It's really, really exciting because the Twins came off of one of the worst seasons they've had in decades and decades, over 100 losses to playoffs. You always love to see a story like that, bit of an underdog story that no matter how difficult of a time your franchise is going through, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to come back the next season and you know kind of make some success out of it. In addition, the Cubs versus Nationals is set. That's going to be going down October 6th to potentially October 12th. The Cubs are back for their third straight year. Talk about a franchise that's come back from a bit of a dry spell. And the Nationals have won four out of seven games against the Cubs this year. This will definitely, definitely be a series to watch. Yeah, baseball finally gets exciting. There's a little bit of a lull always because the season is so long. It kind of drags through August, and the team that can kind of keep their focus and lock in on the task at hand are the teams that usually outlast and make the playoffs. So very exciting because you've got huge names like the Red Sox, you've got the Yankees, you've got the Los Angeles Dodgers, you've got the Washington Nationals, the Chicago Cubs, obviously, are going to be representing as well. And every spot is filled except for that second wild card spot. And an interesting fact to know, you've got the Twins, you've got the Yankees, the red-hot Arizona Diamondbacks, who are easily the best team in the NL West right now. I know the Los Angeles Dodgers got off to that hot stretch in July, and that kind of 
cushion their lead. But if it wasn't for that, the Arizona Diamondbacks would be running away with the NL West. So they have the first NL wildcard spot locked up. And it's looking like it's going to be the Rockies, uh, unless the Milwaukee Brewers can mount a late charge. Um, I think the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are going to face off. Every year since they've introduced the second wild card spot, I believe it was 2014, but every year a team has gone on to actually play in the World Series, and I think the Giants are a wild card team that actually won it. So that's something to look out for. If they can get that first win under their belt, they kind of have that momentum going into the first playoff series, and they carry it all the way to the World Series. And between the four teams that are most likely to make the wild card game, my money's on the Arizona Diamondbacks to make it. I know they'll have to go through the Dodgers, but they've had success in the regular season before, but always come up short in the postseason. So we'll see how it unfolds. I'm ready for some playoff baseball. Wow, that was just a major, major episode for episode 30. I think the longest one we have ever done today, which would make sense because we keep trying to get better for you guys, bring more information every week. I know one other thing to know is the NHL season starts this coming week, so we'll start to have some information for you about those teams. But for now, we're signing off, and we look forward to seeing you next week for episode 31.